Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Just want to let you know, because of the nature of the conversations we are having, they may contain some adult language. First step is always conversation. Um, and it's a big difference between hearing and listening. Um, and I think for a while, black people have been heard, but no one is listening. Listening is the action of what you've heard. I'm Leon Davis, and this is One Good Question. Hello and welcome to this special edition of One Good Question. I'm your host, Leon Davis. We are talking about the murder of George Floyd today and just having some honest conversations about race in this country. My guest today is a good friend of mine I met through work. His name is James Googe. James is one of the most genuinely friendly people I have ever met in my entire life. Just a quick note. He mentions a comic later in the episode, and he is actually talking about Michael Che. Neither one of us could come up with the name. Um, I actually highly recommend that particular stand-up act. That you can find it on Netflix. So, uh, without further ado, here is James Gouge and I having a conversation on One Good Question. James, how you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm good, man. Trying to beat this Texas heat, man. It is hot already. Uh, yep. Blast furnace kicking up, man. It's going to be real tough here real quick. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. So how you been doing? Been uh, laying low and everything? Oh, yeah. Obviously, you know, COVID-19 is kind of, you know, taking everybody by storm, controlling everybody's lives. I think it's the new relative that lives in everybody's house. So it's kind of forced you to move a little differently. But, you know, family's good. Life's good. Work's good. And, um, you know, man, we're very fortunate on this side, man. Yeah. Yeah. Blessed, man. Same here. Blessed. Uh, out of that blessing, uh, we all have something a little heavy going on right now. So this is why we're talking today. The death of Mr. Floyd has uh, caused us to come to a reckoning as a nation so um, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and get you started with the question, and uh, we'll see Please. what your thoughts are. With the lineage of the high-profile incidents beginning in 2009 with Oscar Grant involving police officers and unarmed black men, specifically, but unarmed people, there has been ample time for our country to address police accountability. Why do you think it has taken us having to watch George Floyd have his life taken on camera to decide it might be time to reckon with this? And what steps can realistically create trust between communities of color and the police? Okay. Um, definitely. I may need you to repeat that second part. So maybe let's, let's address the first part. Obviously, like you said, police brutality is something that's gone on since man, way before even this. Um, um, I was talking to my son uh, just yesterday and I was telling him about my first um, experience seeing Rodney King, you know, get beat 
by police officers. And that was when camcorders was kind of the thing that was able to capture that. And, you know, it used to be a myth. Oh, black people are saying they're being mistreated. Oh, no, we're not. Then once you get it on camera, it's like, ah, okay, now we see it. So the person should get convicted or people. And that wasn't the case. If you recall, you know, LA had a crazy riot after they were found not guilty. And it's like, wait a minute, are these guys untouchable? Is it the mafia? You know, what are we really doing here? Are they, are they hired to serve and protect or to keep us in check? Like, 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 like that becomes the thinking, you know, when it's happening to people that look like you. So you go through these times where you have Fernando Castillo, you have Trayvon Martin, you have Mike Brown, you have the countless number of, of, of melanated people, you know, that are, that are killed at the hands of police or police figures. And then you say, Oh, well, there's no video or if there is a video, well, what happened before the video started rolling? And it creates this window of, perception where it's like there's more to the story well then when you get all the way to george floyd it wasn't hair trigger decision it wasn't last second it wasn't you know an officer's life was on the line this man sat there with his knee on his neck and the man pleaded for his life and said he couldn't breathe and it's just like well wait a minute all those stories that we've been hearing for years and god forbid but decades Maybe there is some truth to them. Maybe these officers are taking their authority a little too far. And now you almost can't deny it. And I think what it's done for our country at large, but a lot of my fellow Caucasian and other nationality um, associates and friends, I've gotten countless phone calls, man, since this thing has happened, countless emails and countless text messages of people saying, bro, I had no idea. Man, and I've seen a lot of people apologizing to Colin Kaepernick on social media and things of that nature because they took his message and tried to make it more because, again, his message was targeted to those untouchable police officers. So there has to be a shield that we protect them because their jobs are tough. But it's like, well, wait a minute. You weren't drafted to be a police officer. You chose that job. You weren't forced to be a cop. So you went through the eight week or 10 week or 20 week course or class, you know, to become an officer and you made a conscious decision to be an officer and there's responsibility that comes with that. You know, you and I both know, you know, we, um, we have history working in the food industry and people are pretty mean and rude to people in the food industry. Are we allowed to start doing bad things to their food? No, like that, that wouldn't be okay. You know, our job is to make sure that everything comes out within temperature, make sure our hands are clean, make sure we still respect that customer because that is our obligation and our duty we signed up for. And I wish police officers took that same route. Hey, this person's a jerk. I don't want to deal with them. Hey, Officer Bob, can you come take over this? Because I, I may hurt this person because they're still human, but they can't take it upon themselves to be judge, jury, and executioner and then they say, oh, by the way, this person has a level of coverage. And we were able to see firsthand that this man was held for 10 minutes. There's a lot of things that you can do in 10 minutes. A lot of things that can be done in 10 minutes. And this man pleaded for his life for 10 minutes. And there's, there's, there's no arguing that. There's just no way to get around that. So I think now it's been put before people's eyes and people that look like you and I, although, Leon, I'm not a fan of the looting. I'm not a fan of the destruction, but I understand it. I understand. I, I don't do it. I wouldn't do it, but I understand it. Because yeah, and I think that's where when people, product. yeah, I think that's one thing that 
Some people are not under is like, listen, I'm not saying what they're doing is right, but I understand. I was like, and a thing I've had to explain to a lot of people is that, and this is how I've disarmed a lot of my white friends is like, listen, I acknowledge I come from a place of privilege among yep. people in general, but especially among black people. Like I grew up in the suburbs, right? And it's like, I very rarely wanted for anything in my life. I still live in the suburb because of the way I speak. The second I open my mouth, it disarms a lot of white people. Like I understand that I have, there is privilege in just the what, who I am, where I've lived and the way I've been brought up. But that doesn't always disqualify me from the same things that those people are going through. And it doesn't keep me from empathizing with them because I could very easily just stay up here in the suburbs and be like, eh, not me, you know, and, and you know, and, and, and live my life with my family and try and, and turn a blind eye and use those same, well, you know, he should have been doing this or should have been, I can use those same right. rebuttals, but right. I have empathy for people. Right? I understand that at any moment that could be me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, no matter what amount of privilege I come from, it's not going to matter at that moment. So, yeah. Well, the part of the problem is when your skin is being perceived as a weapon, you can't put your skin down. So if that person is threatened by your skin or if you are of a different ethnicity and if your eyes are shaped a certain way or whatever the case may be, if they see fault in your God-given ability, I mean, natural look, what do you, like, what do you do? Like you, like there's countless people that look like you and I that are killed because they have a phone in their hand or a wallet. I get it. You're an officer. You got to make a quick decision, very, very quick decision. And oh my gosh, I made a mistake, but there still has to be a level of accountability with that mistake. Again, we were in the food industry. If somebody got sick because we failed to do something right by managing their food. There's accountability that comes with that. Your restaurant gets a certain grade. You get set down for a while. You don't get a chance to be in the restaurant, whatever the case may be, or you lose your job depending on how sick that person gets. But these officers are literally taking lives and it comes across as, Oh, well, it was part of their job. And it's like, no, that's the, that was a living, breathing person that, you know, people, um, the lady in New York that uh, was calling the cops on the guy from Harvard that was bird watching, you know, um, although it got addressed in my heart, I feel like it got addressed primarily, excuse me, because of the way she yanked around that dog. You know yeah. Saying? Yeah. When people were worried about the dog, I was like, Whoa, wait, she could have got that dude killed. <laughs> like the cops, right. like he, they're in New York city. You see what they did over some cigarettes to Eric Garner. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like they would have came in if there was a cop in that park at that time that could have responded to that. That dude's life could have been in trouble, could have been and in he, jeopardy. But because he recorded it and was able to capture the treatment of the dog, um, I don't know how factual it is. So you know, obviously, when this does go out, how depend on how you edit it. But I saw a post that said something to the effect of, I don't know if it's the last five years, ten years, twenty years, whatever. But let's just say five years. Over the last five years, Michael Vick got more time for killing dogs than all the officers combined that have killed unarmed black people. I saw that too. Now, is that factual? I don't know. Is my timeline correct? I don't know. But if that is even remotely close to being true, even if he got the same amount of time of officers that killed human beings, like at what point does the value match the incident? 
And again, I've, I've, I've had this conversation a lot, but I talked to another person yesterday um, and we talked about the Colin Kaepernick thing. And, you know, he went on to say that, well, Colin Kaepernick should have chose a different time to do what he did. And I said, well, what time was better when he was sitting in his in his prayer closet at his house? Where, no, the, 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 the point of a silent protest is to draw attention to a level of subject matter, whatever that subject matter may be. And him he just so happened to be a professional athlete that just so happened to say, Hey, well, during this time, I'm not going to honor a country that does my people this way. Hey, let's have the conversation and see if we can change the narrative. But what they did was they skipped the conversation and they changed the narrative to make it about the flag, make it about soldiers. And it's like, that was never the case. So the person I was talking to made the comment to me that, Oh, and then Colin Kaepernick is a biracial guy that grew up to an adopted white family. Well, why would he have so much to say about this? I said, well, at the end of the day, I don't care if a squirrel wants to stand up for black rights. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. If you feel compelled to have a stance for something, um, there's people that don't um, uh, want people wearing furs. Now, are you are, are we saying the only time you can have a voice about furs is if you were born with a fur? No, that's silly. <laughs> That is completely silly, but there people try to justify having disdain towards him, A, because of the timing under which he did it, B, because of the platform which he did it, which those two are very important elements to a to a solid protest, but B, oh, because he didn't grow up in the hood of Compton and 100% black, raised by a black family, well, then therefore he can't have an opinion. Come on, man. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make sense. It's funny how they keep trying to qualify all the, uh, qualify the protest and the funny thing that I that really gets under my skin actually is when when you have people, primarily white people, that are using Martin Luther King. Like they they post the Martin Luther King, you know, this is a protest. This isn't a protest. I mean, this isn't a protest. This is I don't know whatever they're putting. And I was like, wait a second, guys. I was like, first of all, how much Martin Luther King have you actually read? Mm. Most of you only know I have a dream. I have a dream, right? Like you might know, I've been to the mountaintop. Like I've seen, I've seen the promise. Like you might know that one, but like, like he, ha- I was like, how much of him? How much have you actually read? And then you act like, like what I really want to do is like show the picture of the white people on the side of the road spitting vitriol at them while they're doing that. It's like yo. Look at the whole picture. You're just looking, oh, look. Like, nobody liked him back then. The year he died, he was he was one of the most disliked people in America by white people. Like, they did not like him. And guess he, guess he spoke truth to power. And it's like, so yeah. stop acting like you or your grandparents or your parents liked him. They did not. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, right. and it's like, it's, that's one of the things that, like, that really gets under my skin. Um, that's one of the things that uh, every time I see it, like I actually said that to somebody, someone, listen, it's like, until you read something more than the, I have a dream speech. It's like, don't come to me. It's like, here, I'll give you a place to start. Start with a letter from Birmingham jail. And you know why I start with that one? Cause mm-hmm. a, he, he speaks some really hard truths in that one. And B it's really long. <laughs> and so it tells me how serious you are. If you really want to know what Dr. King's about, read that, you know, it's right. like, and MLK died in 68, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, you know when he got his day, his, his MLK day? It, it was 80, 80, yeah, it was Reagan. <laughs> almost 20 years. 
20 years after, okay, because again, if we're going to paint this picture like he was adored and revered, you got 20 years later, he had a day? 20 years. No, man. Like you said, they treated him like the scum of the earth while he was alive. And then after he was gone, they realized, oh, this is what he represents. Or this is a token day that we can, I mean, let's be honest. Black History Month is a joke. Let's just let's just call that what it is. Black History Month is a joke because Black History can't just be explained in one month. It, I mean, it is a it is a lifestyle. If you want to be honest, three hundred sixty five days a year, you still couldn't squeeze in all the Black history that really exists in this country. You know, when you go from everything from inventions that haven't been that have been stolen from people of color because they didn't have a patent. Um, if you go from all the different um, milestones that have been broken by people of color, you can't just squeeze that into just so happens to be the shortest month of the year, ironically. But you try to squeeze all that into one month. It can't happen. But then you take what this man represented and then try to spew it back at us in 2020, knowing when he died, when he was murdered, excuse me, when he was murdered, he was one of the most disliked people on this planet. Come on, man. Come on. Uh, so two things about what, so it's, here's a funny thing that next time, like with, with Martin Luther King Jr. Day, you know what, you know what they celebrate the day after Martin Luther King Day? What, Robert E. Lee Day. It's Robert E. Lee Day. Robert E. Lee Day. Wow. So Robert E. Lee was a traitor. Like, I have no problem saying that. And I will, like, he was a traitor. It's like, and people are like, but blah, blah, blah. I was like, do you believe in the Constitution? Yes. Article 3, Section 3. Read it. It lays out what treason is, right? <laughs> it's like, it's, and part of it is levying war against the United States. What did Robert E. Lee do? Wait, I believe he marched in, in an army against the United States of America. That's treason, right? So there's no if, ands, or buts about that. So why should we even celebrate him? And that, I'm not going into that conversation. But then another thing about Black History Month, when somebody's like, hey, why don't why, why do black people need I'm like, listen, Black History Month is actually American history. It's just that you don't like the fact that it comes with an unspoken caveat of, this, we're celebrating black people despite all the efforts of the white majority to push them down. Like that caveat, then that's why they don't, it's not that it's not American history because it is American history, right? Right. It's part of, but it's a part of American history they don't like telling because what we try to do in black history is celebrate the great achievements of the black culture, right? Right. And because of all those great achievements come with the caveat that we did this despite the great efforts of the white majority to keep us from doing this. And, and it has become a joke because it's one of those things where it's really like they march out like a handful of, they don't really tell the full stories. They march out Martin Luther King, they march out Rosa's Parks. They, they march out all the same stories uh -huh. <laughs> and, and then like, all right, we're done with that. Moving on. <laughs> and it's right. like, but, and there's no growth out of it. And it's, and that's no. one of the more frustrating things about black history and hopefully next year I'll be able to do something a little more because I've had some ideas about how I want, I want to do things more, more full things with the month um, yeah. from my end. And uh, hopefully uh, this podcasting thing, will help me do that. But yeah. 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 I think um, in, in, in my perception of black history month, I think black history month is more for people that aren't black. 
to take the time to try to learn more about black history, not so much for black people. But uh, in my children's earlier days, when they were younger, we, we at least took that month because we knew they were being inundated with black history then. So when they came home um, or we would actually have them uh, do like like miniature book reports on like a person of color and then they would actually recite it back to us um, for a number of reasons one we want them to know their history you know and we would pick people that weren't the, the norm you know you had to pick people that were a little deeper into black history but it also gave us an opportunity to allow our children opportunity to be comfortable public speaking you know reading information and regurgitating it to, to your peers that are watching you because again a lot of our children aren't comfortable doing that I remember a lot of friends that were brilliant I grew up with, they they didn't feel comfortable. Public speaking is probably one of the biggest fears that people have. And I wanted to try to help navigate my children beyond that and past that. So when those opportunities present themselves, like my daughter went to Southern University last summer, HBCU in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and she had to speak on behalf of her peers um, at an agriculture camp. And she did immaculately. And I just saw, you know, what she did when she was five or when she was seven and when she was 10, kind of preparing her for that. And I think that's the other side of this battle that's currently um, happening. And my wife and I take a lot of pride in being parents. We take a lot of pride in instilling certain things into our children. And in this day and age, a lot of people just don't, black or white or Asian. A lot of people's children are raised by the TV or raised by social media or raised by a computer screen. And at the end of the day, if you go through the task of creating a child, it is your responsibility to instill certain skill sets, certain perspectives, and certain levels of knowledge into that child. Now, will you teach them everything that they need to know before they go into the world? Probably not, because you can't give them every example, but you could damn sure try. And, you know, knowing that my daughter's graduated with a 3.75 GPA, you know, my, my next daughter has a 3.6, 3.7-ish. My son has a 3.5. In fact, my son is looking a lot like your son. He's a big dude, yeah. man. <laughs> and then Get ready. My, my Get ready. Girl, yeah. And my baby girl finished up uh, with pretty much a 98% in the first grade. Like, you know, it's different in first grade. But, um, uh, but that's because my wife and I pushed them towards their greatness. And if your kids, my opinion, get pushed towards, towards their greatness, they're less likely to have as much self-doubt as exists in the world. But if you leave children to raise children and blind lead the blind, well, they're going to tell certain girls where your chest size isn't big enough or your nose is too big or your eyes are the wrong color. And those individuals don't grow up learning to love themselves for who they are, which then leads to a lot of the hate that I see in the world. I even believe a lot of police officers probably, again, I don't know, I don't have any facts, but probably were bullied as kids, you know? And then, so they said, how am I going to get back at Raheem that bullied me when I was in the eighth grade? Well, I'm going to become a cop when I'm 27. And then I'm not going to deal with the baggage of Raheem bullying me. And then now I'm going to take it out on every person that I believe looks like Raheem. And again, I could be pulling this out of the clear blue sky and I have no factual uh, um, connotation to it, but that's my belief is that there's a underlining issue one of the underlying issues, because it's not just one thing, it's a litany of things that creates our current status or status um, of the world. I told my team, um, I, and I'll ask you and anybody listening to this podcast, um, do you own a microwave? In your house, Leon, do you own a microwave? 
We do own a microwave, yes. You do. Okay, and when you use your microwave, you if you decide to cook something at 8 in the morning or 10 at night or midnight or 2 a.m., you use your microwave, right? I'm going to say yes for the sake of this question. <laughs> but, but whenever you're hungry, you use your microwave. You don't ask your microwave for permission to use it, correct? Oh, yes, correct, correct, correct. Yes. So what if your microwave became animated, had feelings, had thoughts, it had a voice, and said, hey, man, listen, I'm going to cook your food as warm or even more warm than you desire it to be, but can you at least use me when it's a convenient time for me? You wake me up at 2 a.m. and cook something. You wake me up at 6 a.m. Maybe I don't feel like cooking your food, Leon. And you're going to say, probably, first you're going to be shocked that your microwave is talking. But once you get past that, you're going to say, wait a minute, Mr. Microwave, shut up. That's your job to cook my food. You (laughs) cook my food and you like it, right? Yeah. Okay. So, as time goes on, that microwave is going to get a little more annoyed, a little more mad, a little more perturbed. And at some point, that microwave is going to stop working. It's going to probably burn all your food up. It's probably going to leave your food cold. But it's going to do what it wants to do because it feels disrespected. Well, if you take the long history of being black in America, when we were brought to this country, we were just as valuable as a microwave. We were one-eighth of a man. So it would take eight of us to be lined up to be the equivalent of one Caucasian person when we were brought here over 400 years ago. So when you take the laws that were established then for the country that was just being born, just being created, those laws didn't take microwaves into consideration. It didn't. So as you continue to build this country, you have things like the Second Amendment. Hey, I have the right to bear arms. Okay, cool. But why are we not taking into consideration that when that was created, people had muskets? And you had to put the pellets in it and knock it down. So let's at least adjust something because they didn't build this law when it when automatic rifles were in the equation. We're not saying take away anybody's guns, but we're saying certain people are misusing this. So let's at least look into it. And when you look at our police system, it was established to my understanding, because I wasn't alive during when 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 um, slavery was abolished, but the police system was essentially designed to keep slaves in check. It wasn't really designed for much else beyond that. So when police officers are doing what they're doing to us, they're essentially following their underlining bylaws that existed before any of us were born. So we're shocked why they have their knee on our neck, or why they're shooting us in the back 14 times as we're running away. But in all actuality, they're doing what they were designed to do. So there has to be a level of reform is all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't and get rid of the police, but reform them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, it, that level, that lack of accountability ability stems from a law that was actually passed post-slavery 1871. Um, it was, uh, and then there's a doctrine called qualified immunity that started in 1867. Now, it's not a law because it's just legal doctrine that courts mm-hmm. use to uh, when they decide cases like, well, are we going to actually hear this case or does this case have standing? So this legal doctrine basically is what's being used now. And it's been kind of morphed 1871. That law allowed people to sue whenever a government official civilly sue a government official. If that government official did something wrong. Mm-hmm. All right. And so, so what 18, what 1967 did, um, the legal doctrine of qualified immunity basically said that police are, if they're doing things kind of in the spirit of the law, there's another phrase they use. I can't remember what it is right now, but if they're doing things kind of in the spirit of the law, then they're, they have a qualified immunity and you can't sue them. Right. Right. Well, again, in 19, in the 1980s, 
they switched that doctrine all together and said anything that any government official does in the process of their duty as a government official is technically makes them immune because what they are doing, they're doing under the law. <laughs> and you would, and so that is one of, that's one of the big things um, that need to go on. And you'll hear a lot from me in the coming weeks about this um, because I think there's some movement on it, but we have to be careful about what movement on it happens because you can't just get rid of it because that's worse than having it. Um, oh. And, and going to a whole lot of legal mumbo jumbo right. talking about that. <laughs> so, but, um, right. but there, but there's some movement and the Supreme court um, this Friday is actually taught. They, they had 10, they had 10 cases in front of them that they could look at to admit. They took nine of them into conference this Friday. And so possibly they could talk, they could bring this up in the Supreme court um, this session, hopefully, and, and discuss it and make a move from their level. But, Congress could just pass a law. Justin Amash, who used to be a Republican, now independent because of Trump, has put forward a bill. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but he's put forward a bill trying to get rid of qualified immunity. But once again, as I said, you have to be careful with the way we do this, right? Because of qualified immunity, they don't fear any civil consequences. Um, And then the unions. So those are the two things that I think from the angles I, I believe we need to attack. Um, find a find a pain point money wise because if you know like if you've heard like a lot of the a lot of places that use a Minneapolis police force it have cut their contracts off mm-hmm. and so money so mm-hmm. you got to figure out where the pain point is money's always a pain point always and I think that's one thing where we've never been strategic in our like we get up and we yell and we scream we have we've never and we're like oh we're gonna boycott this it's like yeah you know, it's like we still are only twelve percent of the population, guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So that's just kind of a little background on legally how we got to where we are. Wow. Um, and I and I don't want to uh, totally skip over the second half of your question. Did I did I address it at all, or do you want to um, regoing? Yeah. That so just to make so sure. that's where I was kind of leading you into that. And so um, so the second half of the question was. Uh, what steps can we realistically take to create trust between communities of color and the police? Yeah. Um, first step is always conversation. Um, and it's a big difference between hearing and listening. Um, and I think for a while black people have been heard, but no one is listening. Listening is the action of what you've heard. Um, and there has to be an understanding that, you know, Cops are people. I get that. But so are the people that you're that you're forced to police as well. And are there bad black people? Without a doubt. Um, But that's your job as a cop is to find those bad ones, treat them accordingly because they're still humans. They have rights. Now, if a if a person tries to harm you, well, then you yeah, you, you you deal with them accordingly. But if the person is on their stomach in the middle of the street on a hot pavement saying they can't breathe, begging for their life, that's not the time to use brute force. Um, and just kind of understanding that, um, you know, uh, having the conversation, understanding where everyone is coming from um, as best you can. And again, a conversation is only so much. And I, and I use the example, you know, um, I love my kids dearly. I have four beautiful children with my wife and I was there for the birth of all four of them. And as many deliveries as I've seen, 
Um, I still can't tell you what it feels like to give birth because I've never physically done it. So if you've never been black and you're a white police officer, yes, I can tell you what I'm feeling, but until you experience it, you'll never know. But the least you can do is allow yourself to be open to the dialogue and the conversation. And I don't think we should only have black cops in black neighborhoods. That just doesn't make any sense. You know, you, these people have jobs and bills and things that they have to pay. They have to be able to do their job. We're just asking that you do it effectively. You know, if, if, if you're a cop and you're, you know, doing the things that are happening, that's not cool. You know, if you're an NBA player and you're throwing chess passes into the, into the stand, every time you get to the offensive side of the ball, at some point you lose your job. You know, if you keep turning the ball over, you lose your job. There's a level of accountability that has to be had. And that's the next phase. You know, um, there are multiple parents that abuse children. Um, and in their mind, I'm assuming they don't understand what they're doing because that's their release. Well, I think a lot of these officers abuse citizens and that's their release. You know, they're going to go home, kiss their kid on the forehead, you know, eat their the dinner that their wife makes. And, you know, every cop says, I want to make a home to my family. Well, so do the people that you have to that you have to police as well. It's not only it doesn't stop at you as the police officer that wants to go home. So do I. If I happen to be speeding four miles over the speed limit and you pull me over, our goal both is to go home. There shouldn't be bullets involved with that conversation. <laughs> like, if, like if I was to pull out a gun, I'm wrong. And then therefore you deal with me accordingly. But if I'm a little annoyed or a little perturbed or a little agitated or, or, or a little scared, because that's the other thing. There's a lot of fear that comes with it. And a lot of times cops say, Oh, Hey buddy, why, why are you so nervous? Dude, because you and your homeboy just killed 46 of us in the last 18 months. Yeah. So, yes, I'm a little nervous. Like, I, I, I want to make sure I'm not 47. That's it. So exactly. once we have a dialogue, and I saw a guy get pulled over. I feel like he was in New York, but I don't know. And uh, when the cop pulled him over, he was hostile. And the cop was like, hey, buddy, I'm, I'm not trying to bust your balls. I'm not trying to, you know, do anything to, uh, I just want to, you're, you're parked in a spot where you shouldn't be. And after about seven or eight minutes of conversation, he got the guy's information went back to the car, ran his license. Nothing was wrong. Came back before he gave him his license said, Hey man, I don't have anything against you, man. I'm a white guy, but you're my black brother. I love you. You know what I'm saying? I'm just doing my job. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to make it harder on you. I just want to have, you know, I just want get, to get, get done with my day. If you're doing something wrong, I'm going to deal with you. But obviously you weren't. You take care. They shook hands and they went on their way. That should be a consistent, realistic interaction with a police officer. Not fear, not domination, not title. Oh, I'm a cop, so therefore I'm judge, jury, executioner. No, sir, you're a police officer. I respect your title. If I did something wrong, I got to deal with that. But if I didn't, don't now try to bait me into doing something so now you can get your rocks off by shooting me in the neck 16 times. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that's the part that's being missed so much. It's the, it's the empathy. People don't have the ability to empathize. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been one of the more frustrating parts. And uh, like you, I talk to a lot of my white friends and it's not that I don't want to, it's just that it's one of the things that makes this time really exhausting uh-huh. because I'm dealing with it here on, my, on a family level. I have to deal, I have to process it on a personal level. And then I appreciate the fact that people want to reach out to me and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Where are you on this? Like, Hey, this is where I am. Where are you? Like, and when I'm getting that, 
and it's cool for the ones that can empathize, but then, you know, you're scrolling on your Facebook and you find that one friend of yours, you're just like, Oh no. And you know, and you know, that friend, right. You know, who it's going to be. And like, and this was one of the, and this is one of the few times I've gone zero. sum. it's like, Hey guys, I have no patience for it. Uh, this one, I have no patience for either you're with me or you're not. <laughs> and it's like, I hate being that way. It's like two years, 10 years. It's known me since I was a baby. I have zero patience for it because it's so obvious. There's no, I don't care about the rights. Great. Okay, cool. Great. The dude died. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's, let's fix that. Right. Yeah. Hey, hey, listen, listen, the Minneapolis mayor and the Minnesota governor, did you hear the Minnesota governor? He said, yeah, this is wrong. But we as Minnesota and Minneapolis police department started this, like, if we would not have killed this man, this would not be going on. <laughs> and, and, and it was one of the best news conferences I've ever seen from any politician in recent times during a time of accountability mm-hmm. because he didn't shy from it. He's like, this is ours to own. We have to own it here. Right. And Minneapolis has tons of issues. They're still trying to deal with from the ramifications of this, but that governor I have no doubt that governor, if something goes wrong, like he's already stepped up and said he's going to own it. So cool. Great. Go. Do, and that's all we really want from our leaders. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, why, why should they, why should it be in the air that something would go wrong? And that's the, that's the other side of it. You know, it's that invincibility that it feels like our officers are, are given, you know, um, again, if they were drafted into this, or born into this and said, Hey, your last name is Davis and your dad was a cop and your granddad was a cop. So you're going to be a cop. I would feel a little different because you have no say so. Maybe you want to be an engineer or an electrician or whatever, but you were forced to be a cop to me. That would be different, but you took it upon yourself to have the option of all the hundreds and thousands of jobs that exist in the world. And you, and you, and you chose to be a cop. So you should do that job to the best of your ability. And that goes for any job. I don't care what it is that you do. If you have a job that deals with the well-being of people, even in the medical field, there's a lot of cases of doctors that are wrongfully diagnosing people. They get dealt with. They, when it comes out, they get dealt with. They lose their license. They lose their ability to make money. That should be the case for an officer. Now, if an officer is in a gunfight with somebody and a stray bullet hits somebody and they do a test to find out it's his bullet, Okay, that's different. Like, okay, you know, okay. But you are now, essentially, you're out of shape, so you don't want to run, run up to somebody, so you shoot them in the back nine times. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see how that's honorable. Yeah. Like, that's the, it's not, the, the job is honorable. I know some amazing police officers. Like, I was talking to my team. I know, actually, I don't think I personally know any bad cops, if you want to be honest. Every experience I've had with a cop from my life has been good. I was in Kansas city heading to that school. You don't like that's in Kansas. And um, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. that one, that one, that one. one. And I got it. I got to Kansas city. I I landed and I was driving to Manhattan and I'm rolling. I'm rolling Leon. And I'm like, Oh, this feels good. I feel like I'm in Dallas, baby. And I look at my rearview mirror and coming off the freeway about a mile and a half back, I see, because I got 20-20 vision, so I see a cop coming off onto the freeway. And I was like, man, I looked out of my odometer, I'm going like 80. 
I looked at my app, my GPS, speed limit 65. I was like, oh, he's coming for me. So I go over a little hill, and I get to the other side. I look again. I see his lights. He, by now, he's still a mile behind me. I said, uh, all right, I pull over. Like, I'm at the bottom of a hill where he can't see me. I pull over. So I'm looking at my rearview mirror, and he's driving, and he does, like, a double take. It looks to the side of the road. It's like, and you see his car kind of swerve. Like, do I? Okay, let me pull over. So he pulls over and pulls over behind me. And then so I rolled out my window, had my license out, car cut off, and I'm waiting on him. And he was like, hey, were, were you just going? I said, yes, sir. I was going 82 and a 65. He said, yeah. Did you see me get off? I said, yes, sir. Well, how'd you know I was coming after you? I just assumed you were. I mean, I was in the wrong. I was doing something I shouldn't have done. And I'm from Texas. We drive fast in Texas. So I, I do apologize. Where are you heading to? I'm heading to Manhattan, Kansas, homecoming game. Oh, man. Me and this guy talked for 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, conversation went great. He checked my license, everything clear. And he said, man, you know what? You're such a nice guy, such a good person. Hey, man, I'm going to give you a warning. I said, you sure? I was going 20 miles over the speed limit. He said, no, sir. That is perfectly fine. And we talked like five more minutes. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I kind of got to go, but I'm going to stay below the speed limit. And I went on about my way. And those are the kind of stories that people that look like you and I have to hear. Like not every cop is the boogeyman trying to take your life. Not every cop is Freddy Krueger trying to invade your dreams. You know, there are an abundance of amazing, beautiful police officers. And we have to find a way to weed out the ones that make extremely horrible decisions and get them to understand that, hey, guy, you got on a bulletproof vest. Like, if you have to wait half another second just to make sure that's a gun and not a wallet, well, do that. Because that there's been people that's been murdered day before their weddings. Yeah, I think in New York, you know, shot yeah. like multiple, like double digit times yeah. the day before his wedding. And he had a phone or a wallet in his hand. Like, that's unacceptable, man. It is. It is, man. And I, I mean, like, and from the same point of view, I have stories like I have good stories, too. I have only only have one questionable story, like one bad story that just really where it gets under my skin. My, I've only had one. That's my only negative, real negative interaction with the police officer um, coming back from Wichita Falls. Uh, there's a, where you get back on 380 from 277 and mm-hmm. I'm turn, I'm turn, taking that left and there's a stop sign there and it was clear. And I, and I had already let my foot off the brake to roll that stop sign. And I look over and I see a police officer, I see a trooper and I was already out there. So I was like, ah, I told, and, and we're, so it's me, Kobe and the boys, Kobe was pregnant with Maya. We're in a blue Volvo. All right. So we're in a nice car but we're in the country. And so I was like, I said, he's going to pull me over. She's like, what? I, said, I just rolled that stop sign. He's going to pull me over. So sure enough, he gets behind me and he pulls me over. And so, you know, roll down on. So he comes over Kobe's side, looks over, can see she's pregnant. He goes, Hey, um, you know, I pulled you over today. I feign like, no, sir. I don't know why you pulled me over today. And you know what this dude says to me? He goes, I pulled you over because you don't have a front license plate. Now, wow. the, the dude was looking for, so hard for a reason to pull over the black guy in a Volvo going through town that he missed the reason to pull me over. I flat rolled right. the stop sign, and I knew, like, I was not surprised when he pulled me over because I, I flat rolled it. I was already out in the street when I saw him. I was like, ah, dang it. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know? and so, like, I would have had no issue with that dude. And, like, I was like, and Kobe goes, what? <laughs> and it was like, 
Sorry, sorry. He goes, all right, I'm going to – so he goes and runs my license and everything. And in Dallas, like, nobody has a front license plate. Like, nobody. Like, and, and what irks me is, like, now Kobe makes me keep a front license plate on my car. And I can't yeah. stand a front license plate. <laughs> you know? And, wow. and, like, and, and, like, until that point, I had never had a front license plate. I never kept a front license plate on my car. I just don't like the way they mm-hmm. look. And But now Kobe makes me keep a front license plate on my car. And so – but that's the only – that's the only negative time I've had with – Every other time, same thing. Like, you know, I've flown past cops on a tollway. Lights come on, and I don't even let them get off the, get off the shoulder. I'm like, that's me. <laughs> Pull over. <laughs> Pull over. They're like, hey, slow down. All right, cool. And, like, I think three times I've had that happen. And, no, and just because I didn't make them get off the, get off the shoulder and chase me down, <laughs> they, I think yeah. every time they're like, Slow down. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. I have, a, I have a family member that was a state trooper, and he told me, nephew, he said, 99% of the tickets that officers write is to their discretion. Very, very seldom are you in a situation where you just, quite frankly, have to write a ticket. If you're considerate, if you're cordial, if you're responsible, um, if you're, you know, just communicate effectively, um, nine times out of ten, that officer is going to let you go. Guys, I mean, guys, yeah, world. I've gotten out of an abundance of tickets just because I treated the officer like a human being. And that's the other side of it. You have people in this world that say, well, my job pays for your taxes. No, 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 no. He's still a freaking human, man. And all we're asking for is civil rights. The same civility that you want people of the world to show you as an officer, show the same people of the world that you're sworn to protect, you know, and, and to shoot somebody multiple times, um, or put your knee on their neck while they're begging. Even if they're, even if you think they're lying, they can't breathe. You don't know that person. You could have a condition. Let them up, you know. But I've actually seen other videos of that incident, um, and I'm hoping it's before they put the knee on his back or his neck. But they're in the car, and the car is rocking from them. I think they're beating George up in the car before the whole knee incident. And I'm so like, the story is they had him in the car. They they had him in the car, so there was no reason for him to come back out of the car. Like, and but so that that's what that's one of the biggest things. Is like, there is no reason for him to be pulled out of the car once you have him in the car, right? Yeah. As like, uh, your windows weren't busted out, so it wasn't like you had him in the car and he got belligerent and he busted your windows, right? right. And it's like right. it's like it's like short of that, there's no reason to really. I mean, secure him, close the door, get in the car, take mm-hmm. him to the station, right? I, I can tell you this, and I know we're getting short on time, but um, at the end of the day, I hope we're kind of at the point, because, you know, things have a tendency to get worse before they get better. And I think we're, I hope we're at the point where it's at its worst and it's going to force people to have real adult conversations where emotions are removed on both sides, the Caucasian side and the African-American side, and um, just really have a real conversation. And, and, and us as people of color also have to be prepared to hear well, why the fear exists in police officers or in people that aren't of African-American descent. I'll be honest with you, as a black man, there's some black people I don't like. So I know they exist. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's just a fact of the matter. So I, nobody's perfect. I don't think anybody should get a clean slate. I don't feel like we need to be able to skate across the world for the next 30 years with no kind of ramifications because people have to be held accountable. But I think it goes both ways. Bad people that are in this world need to be dealt with and bad cops that are in this world also need to be dealt with accordingly. But, um, but brother Leon, I'm truly, truly proud and grateful for the opportunity to be on your podcast with you, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much.
uh, I really appreciate you doing this with me. Um, you brought a lot of great stuff. Uh, so uh, I can't wait to see what everybody else says. thank you for listening to this conversation. The only way we are going to move forward is to continue having conversations like these. So please meaningfully engage with someone with no intent other than to increase your understanding. With that thought in mind, I thought it was time that I heard from you, the listeners. There is now a one good question hotline. Sometimes I will be asking for your views on something specific. At other times, I may just want to hear from you. You can leave a message anytime for any reason, and it just might end up on the show. Like this message from Matt Hongoltz-Hetling, who was one of my first guests. Hey, this goes out to our questioner-in-chief, Leon, from Matt Hongoltz-Hetling. Just wanted to say I'm optimistic about this moment, uh, not because George Floyd's murder is unique, but because it channeled the energy of decades of work by activists concerned about police brutality and its disproportionate effects on people of color. Uh, that energy and hard work isn't going away, and now millions of people will look more favorably on steps toward reform. Uh, but we also have to remember the forces of oppression aren't going to sleep either. So every move in the right direction will face resistance. So reforms won't be big enough or sweeping enough, but we're gaining some important ground here. Now, this time, video evidence helped identify the police as the perpetrators of violence. But next time... Righteous activists can't allow themselves to be painted as the violent ones. And so I urge everyone who cares about these issues to keep marching with peace, strength, and solidarity. Uh, that's uh, all I got. Those are my thoughts. I hope you are staying safe and well, Leon, and uh, looking forward to seeing your uh, podcast continue to grow. Bye-bye. Thanks, Matt, for taking time out of your day to send me that message. You can reach the hotline at 929-4-O-G-Q-Pod. That's 929-464-7763. Thank you again for listening to this episode, and please make sure you check out the rest of the series. This has been One Good Question. Once again, I'm your host, Leon Davis. Theme music by DJ Seth Lowry. Other music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen. To catch up with us on social, check the show notes.